think with McConaughey, you know, my voice already sounds, you know, it's similar. It's uh, an octave or two away maybe and just kind of tap into the Texas accent, slow it down a little bit and uh, just let it rip. But I don't know. It's not something I really worked on a lot. I think one day I just uh, was feeling a little poetic. Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, a lot of news to get to today. I've got some thoughts on Dan Mullen's extension, as well as this whole Eric Gilbert to Georgia announcement. Also got a great interview with Wes Blankenship coming up as well. And then we'll talk honeymoons in figuring it out. Let's talk Mullen first, though. He got that new contract. The deal now runs through 2026. He's getting $1.5 million more annually. He's going to be the third highest paid coach in the SEC, fourth highest paid coach in the nation. Hey, he's even making more money than Kirby Smart. The fact that it was announced on the same day that the dead period ended and they were actually able to host recruits, totally a coincidence, I'm sure. Way to go, Florida. That couldn't have worked out better for you. Uh, I joked that it was actually like Florida had the, you know, like the church bulletin. When you walk into church and they hand you the bulletins, yeah. you know, a little little brochure, a little pamphlet. The ushers are, it's like the ushers were passing them out to recruits. And on the front of the bulletin at Florida yesterday, it read, Dan Mullen signs extension. That part, I get it. The timing, super, super smart. You know the last thing that Florida wanted to have to address? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Coach, you've been to three New Year's Six Bowls. Why do you only have three years left on your original deal that you signed? Um, I don't think that's actually how recruits talk, but maybe. You never know. Kids are different these days. Well, the best part about Credit that, Scott, they snuck that Mike White extension under the radar, too. Everybody was talking about Dan Mullen. Great point. And then, whoop! Great point. Mike White, you will not get a raise. Uh, Dan Mullen, you will get a raise, and we will all combine this into one thing. It kind of amazed me, actually, when I read some of the coverage of that, when I saw that combined into one story. I'm like, you realize that's exactly what you, they wanted you to do, right? They wanted you to just slip that in there. It should probably be two separate things, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Credit to Scott Strickland for avoiding that awkward in-person conversation and for avoiding the possibility of other schools using that same tactic against Florida on Tuesday. I imagine there was at least one place that told recruits, I'm not saying which place specifically, but I imagine there was at least one place that told recruits, hey, um, you know, Dan Mullen still, still doesn't have that extension yet, only to find out later in the day, hey, that's old news. Dan Mullen is the man through 2026. At least that's what the contract says. So if you're Scott Strickland, the AD, what choice did you really have? We talked about this a lot with Matt Hayes a couple months ago. Was Strickland going to reward Dan Mullen's behavior? And this doesn't mean that everything was just overblown and it was some media narrative or anything like that. These were things that we saw Dan Mullen do. I think Florida fans, even if you were trying to support your your head coach and you believe that he's good at his job and it was just a weird year, you still couldn't deny some of the stuff that happened and even a few months ago with the comment of that's somebody else's press conference thing when he was asked about the extension that was reportedly in the works a year prior to that but not finalized that was weird like what if though this had played out into the regular season you think wound up on edge Dan Mullen would have been good again because I don't we already saw that there's no way that this wouldn't have also hurt recruiting 
and it would have hurt Mullen's reputation, which I realize isn't the number one priority, but it's part of this. If the dude is in year four with then two years left on his contract after this season, and we do this back and forth thing every single game, like if they lose to LSU or if they lose to Georgia, every single loss would have felt that much greater and he would have had to answer those questions. The good news if you're Florida is that won't be the case. The good news if you're Scott Strickland, that buyout stayed exactly the same. It's still at 12 million bucks. The Orlando Sentinel reported that half of the $12 million buyout would theoretically come to Dan Mullen in the first 30 days, and then the rest would come in annual payments over the next six years. That's not nothing. I mean, basically, that's, I mean, like, in today's day and age, though, you look at those numbers and you're like, all right, you know, that's, that's actually not a bad deal at all. There were 32 FBS head coaches who had buyouts bigger than Dan Mullen last year, including a certain Gus Malzahn at $21.45 million. This also isn't a Gus deal where it's like three quarters of the of the remaining money on the contract is guaranteed. So like, consider that and consider that you're no longer firing a decent power five head coach without paying at least eight figures. You can't even fire Will Muschamp without paying that much money. So let's say that things theoretically don't get better this year. Let's say Mullen's totally unhinged. Florida goes 7-5, gets smoked by Bama, smoked by UGA. Maybe they beat LSU or something. I don't know. Let's even say that Kentucky beats Florida. All right, some Florida fans just turned off the podcast listening to that part right there. But let's just hypothetically say that happens. Let's also hypothetically say that Dan Mullen puts his foot in his mouth again. I don't think that happens, but it's hypothetical. Scott Strickland could theoretically fire Dan Mullen and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Again, not saying that's going to happen, but the contract works out really well for both. Dan Mullen gets to be the fourth highest paid coach in college football, which is great to be able to sell the recruits. And for Strickland, that buyout is still power and it's still leverage. I saw some Georgia fans who were snickering at this, like, wow, how could you pay Dan Mullen? The guy's two and five against Bama, LSU, and Georgia. He'll never out-recruit Kirby. I I'll get to the, the Georgia dynamics and, and all that stuff here and what happened later in the day. But here, here's the thing. Will, you're not a Mullen guy, but you agree that a deal like this makes sense, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and Mullen's contract extension is just such a perfect news item because, yeah, it's like if you're Florida, what are you supposed to do? I think that at the end of the day, he has stabilized this program and he's brought it to, you know, at least at minimum the average of what Florida fans think it should be. He's within striking dis- distance of contention, striking distance of SEC titles, and we've seen, you know, much worse. And so at the end of the day, you know, like you said, I think it was a, a great move by Strickland. He didn't put too many eggs into that basket. But at the same time, you know, like you said, there are things that need to be addressed, the comments, the recruiting, things like that. But it's not like he's, they're married long term. So I think if you're a Florida fan, you got to be thrilled because – you know, it stops Dan Mullen from going somewhere and it gives you the option to keep him. But at the same time, it's not like he can just torpedo your program like you've seen a couple of other coaches do. Dan Mullen, I think, would owe Florida, I believe the numbers are, he would owe Florida $2 million if you were to go somewhere else, which any NFL team or something like that would pay that. So theoretically, that's not necessarily your biggest concern, even after these uh, reports you know, that came out earlier where Adam Schefter's coming out saying that Dan Mullen would be open to leaving for the NFL. Whatever you want to take from that, and if you do think that Dan Mullen is kind of on the fence a little bit about some of this name image like this stuff, you still look at that contract if you're Florida and say this is favorable. 
top 10 coaches in this sport get paid. They just do. That goes double if you're an elite offensive mind in the year 2021. And it doesn't guarantee that it's going to stay that way, but those guys get paid. A couple months ago when I broke down all this Mullen stuff, I said I no longer know what Dan Mullen's future looks like. And I, to be honest, I'm still kind of up in the air about it because if Florida, if you, it's believed that you've peaked, you're kind of done. Tuesday's developments, though, provided the word that you just used, stability. There's no doubt about that. If there was ever a time to announce an extension, that was it. If you're Florida, you can now sell that Mullen is going to be the long-term guy. He lasted longer than the last guy already. And assuming he gets to a year five, he'll last longer than the guy before that, a certain Will Muschamp. Will he last six years like Urban or will he last 12 years like Spurrier? I honestly couldn't tell you. My bet is probably somewhere in between. But Tuesday's news was all about selling stability. And Florida, for now at least, appears to have just that. So there, there's, there, there's the curvy side of this. Imagine being Mullen. You're probably on cloud nine on Tuesday. Recruits are back in the building. You've got that new deal. Life is good. And you look down at your phone, only to find a text. I don't know who sends these texts to Mullen. Probably is like, um, there's, there's a couple of different people that would probably send this text. But that text to Mullen probably read something like, they got him. And I don't want to assume that that's what happened. Or I don't want to you know, guarantee it, but, but it seems pretty likely. Him, in this situation, is Eric Gilbert. And they, of course, is Georgia. You know, the highest rated tight end recruit in 247 sports history. You know, the dude who transferred to Florida for a month only to flip amidst concerns about his grades, his eligibility. Georgia found a way. And not only did they find a way, or at least they're going to try and find a way to make sure that he's eligible for this year, but they're going to play him at receiver. That's something. That's definitely significant. In my opinion... I, I totally understand why Georgia would do this. You've already got another five-star tight end in Darnell Washington. Dude lit it up in the spring. He's in the same class as Eric Gilbert. You don't want him transferring. You also don't want to have to reinvent the offense to make both players happy unless you're all of a sudden going to be like, hey, we're going to do all this 12 personnel. We're going to have these guys running routes. It's a little bit of a tougher sell. Washington only had seven catches last year, and the majority of those were Eric Gilbert recruiting pitches, as we know. By being like, hey, come here and replace George Pickens, Eric Gilbert suddenly has a really intriguing situation. You know how, Will, this is a, you, you're very well versed in this. You know how in basketball, every center wants to shoot threes, right? Yep. Like that's, that's the thing. They want to play the smaller, more athletic position. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of that with Gilbert. Oh, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to line up in line and block SEC defensive ends? Sweet, that sounds great. Gilbert graded out horribly as a pass blocker because that's not what he does. You don't call passing plays and then have him not run routes. That'd be really stupid. For what it's worth, last year, Gilbert's snap count, um, this is all via Pro Football Focus, he lined up 319 times in line, 195 in the slot, and only 36 out wide. So basically, if you add up numbers in the slot and the numbers out wide, he was a wide receiver for 42% of the time. Kirby can point to that and tell Gilbert, hey, the learning curve, it's not going to be that great for you. And maybe Kirby's right. Maybe Kirby, 
is saying you can line up out wide for us and Gilbert's going to take that opportunity and run with it and it's going to fit him perfectly because it's what Georgia needs. George Pickens lined up out wide on 93% of his offensive snaps. It is a much, much different role than what Eric Gilbert did. Again, just 36 snaps out wide. From Gilbert's perspective, I get it to a certain extent. You get to be that big guy playing a cooler position sort of thing. You get to come back home. Yes, that does matter for these kids. You get to possibly play for a national title as well. But if I'm Gilbert, I don't know. It kind of feels like I'm hurting my long-term future a little bit. Playing tight end is just different. I've always felt, and maybe, Will, maybe you'll disagree with this. I've always felt that physically, tight ends and defensive ends are the most physically intimidating guys that you can stand next to. They're the guys that you're gonna stop and notice and you're gonna be like, what what lab were you created out of? Eric Gilbert is 6'5", 250 pounds. The guy's 13 pounds bigger than Calvin Johnson, AKA Megatron. I'd imagine that he's probably gonna have to cut a few pounds to play out, li- uh, to play out wide. Don't wanna necessarily assume that. Otherwise though, he's probably not stretching the field vertically. He's really, really good speed for a tight end, but I don't necessarily know that it's top end speed for a receiver. And the way that Georgia is going to need him, they're gonna need him to be able to stretch the field out wide and do some of the things that Pickens did if that's the role. Because let's not forget, Georgia already has Kiaris Jackson in the slot. I'd argue Kiaris Jackson's your best returning receiver. You'd like to be able to have your best returning receiver do what he does best. That's not to say that Kirby shouldn't have recruited Eric Gilbert and that it's not a system fit. Of course he should have recruited Eric Gilbert. Georgia has legitimate national title hopes. And if JT Daniels and Zamir White and James Cook and George Pickens, if they're all gone after this year, you've obviously got a very unique opportunity to win in 2021. That's been well documented, especially with Alabama, Florida, going through significant offensive transformations. I've already done the whole, like, this is why Eric... Gilbert is good monologue, so I'll spare you that. As we know though, nobody, and I mean nobody, needs to tell Kirby to go out and get more five-star talent. The dude literally went out and got another five-star before his head hit the pillow on Tuesday night. Clemson transfer, Darian Kendrick, the cornerback. Here's what I'll say about this. If even Dabo is giving up on you as a first-team all-ACC guy, you must have really been in the doghouse. My bad. Dabo doesn't call it the doghouse. He calls it the love shack. Such a Dabo thing to do. That is such a Dabo thing. Still, though, Kendrick got kicked off the team. He was actually arrested for drug and firearms uh, charges. That was back in March. That was actually after he entered the transfer portal, though. But Kirby found a way for both Kendrick and Gilbert to be able to join Georgia. When we know, we know that other places couldn't have justified that. But, you know, Kirby's just going to do what Kirby does. Just addresses probably his team's two biggest needs by going out and getting the top two players in the transfer portal. So what does it mean for Georgia? It's pretty obvious. There's now more pressure than ever for this to be the year. Of course, the pain would sting that much more if it didn't happen. And I know there's some Georgia fans who still don't want to fall into that trap. They don't want to buy into the hype. The L. Duncans of the world. But the hype is there, and there's really nothing that you can do about it. But back to Mullen for a second. Actually, Will, did you have any thoughts on, on on Gilbert and what this means? And you as an LSU fan watching this knowing this isn't Finley. This is different because he's going to be used in a much different way. But is there a sense as an LSU fan of, oh crap, this is 
this is exactly what I feared would happen. No, I mean, what I feared would happen was him going to Alabama. So, <laughs> mm. anything but that, I feel like, is a win. I mean, honestly, you know, and I've said it before, as I've gotten older, you know, I just want these kids to be happy, and I want them to find peace and happiness. And something is going on with Gilbert. We probably won't know what it is or what it was, honestly, maybe until he gets drafted. Right. Because everybody around the program knows something about him. Nobody will say it. If you listen to Moscona, if you listen to anybody around there, you know, and good, you know, Coach O butchered that by saying his body was hurting and he had all these former players and fans coming after him. That was a disaster. So it's not like LSU did him any favors anyway. I think that using him at wide receiver, I mean, in that offense, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, ideally, you would like for him to develop, to develop his blocking ability. But in that offense where they have, you know, seven catches by a tight end, it's a lot better of a pitch to be like, we will get you the ball. And, you know, you look at Georgia, and, you know, we've both been banging the drum for Georgia. This just makes them that much harder to beat. I mean, we, we were both high on Georgia before either of these transfers. And how about that, too? I mean, that Clemson transfer, that would have been shocking news by itself. But it's just like the Mike White extension. That slides into the Eric Gilbert news. So crazy day in the SEC East. But, yeah, overall, man, um, you know, it's good that he got to go home. Lots of people universally were saying he was missing home. Glad that he could be around his family. LSU, obviously, is pretty far from Georgia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just I wish him the best and hopefully – he is, and I, I mean this so seriously, hopefully he makes the best of that situation and isn't kind of another victim of Kirby's offense. That's the only, it's not slander, it's just we've seen it happen before. I hope that he is able to return to that production because when he was on the field last year, I mean, amid a dumpster fire, he was obviously so talented. So I'm excited to see the kid play on Sundays at this point, honestly. That's that's the thing that that if you're Kirby that I keep coming back to, and I was I was saying this before the Gilbert transfer was if you have all these pieces in place on offense and now it's a normal offseason and you have the coordinator you want, you have the system you want, and the personnel is just there. If it doesn't happen this year, those those supporters they 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 find more and more reasons to be a little bit skeptical. They just will. And that is reality. And he knows he's setting himself up for that, but that's what Kirby does. And he has no problem taking that challenge head on. Will, um, I want to get back to, to Mullen for a second, the Mullen side of this. You're a homeowner. Do you have that neighbor on your street? Maybe it's across the street. Maybe it's right next door, but close proximity. Do you have that neighbor that always just has like the perfect lawn and they're adding some sort of new toy and their house just looks perfect? Do you have that person? So... I have that in a positive way. So our neighbor, shout out, shout out Mullen, huge Florida fan from Gainesville, Steve, he's the man. He's like a former baseball coach, and bro, his yard consistently is on like a zero degree level edge. I've never seen such precision in yard work. We don't really even have a yard, because that's a different story for another day. But I watch this man, you know, trim the grass, and it's like he's in the lab, bro. It's like he's out there, he's got his headphones on, he's playing some Grateful Dead or something. I just, I want to be that way when I'm like 40. It is such a thing that you notice, and I always thought that was a little bit of a stereotype, and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll aspire to be that guy. I'm a solid decade from being that guy. Yep. I really am. I, I have a neighbor right across the street that I look at, and I'm like amazed because he's out there at 8.30 at night still doing yard work. He's got this grass that's like, it is just perfectly, perfectly manicured. It's unbelievable. He's, he's got this leaf blower that's probably three times the price of whatever I own. And it just always feels like, oh, I can be out there doing something or something like that. And this guy's always doing something better. He's always, he's always trying to one-up you. 
And he might not mean to, but to me, it's always going to feel like that. And you're just sitting there like, man, my house is never going to look that nice. He's got the pool. This guy's got the cool shed. He's got all that stuff. His sprinkler system actually works like it's supposed to. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be how Mullen feels about Kirby right now. Here Mullen is, he's feeling good. Maybe it's like he's coming home with some new plants. He's gonna do a little bit of landscaping. He looks across the street. Kirby's out there trimming his hedges, pun intended, and they just look perfect. Kirby's got a robot like, trimming his hedges. He's got yes. three poodles doing flips in the background. You're just like, what? Come on, guy. Like, are you, are you serious right now? Like, Kirby's always doing something. His yard looks like it's freaking maintained by the grounds crew at Augusta. And Kirby just, you know, looks over at Mullen driving in and Mullen's got his plants. He's holding on to all of them, trying not to fumble them. Fire up the Ben Affleck holding coffee gift, whatever you want to say or meme. And, uh, and Kirby's just looking over at Mullen. He's like, hey, neighbor. And Mullen's sitting there cursing under his breath, doing the Joe Pesci Home Alone thing. And then he forces out a fake smile and he's like, hey, neighbor. And he says it just grinding his teeth like this freaking guy. This guy. I'm not saying this as like a Florida Georgia thing because I know national titles, Florida fans, I know, I know, trust me. But this now kind of feels like the dynamic with Kirby and Mullen. Mullen finally beats Kirby in Jacksonville. And then Kirby, as we know, I I think you could make the real case that he ends up with the better season. When Mullen got that show cause for the recruiting violations, it was like Mullen said, screw it, I'm gonna speed. And so he floors it down Main Street with his Nissan Maxima, only to get pulled over two seconds later for going 10 over the speed limit. Meanwhile, Kirby zips past Mullen and the cop. He's riding in a Camaro. No ticket for Kirby. The cop turns to Mullen and he's like, sweet car that guy has. It's like <laughs> and, the, Chappelle and bit, the Chappelle bit where he's talking about his white friends just playing, we're not going to take it as the cops roll down the window. How's it going, officer? <laughs> Basically that. Basically that. And then meanwhile, Bama and Clemson fans are like, cool, good for them. Uh, Let them keep doing this and we'll be the ones that are out here winning titles. Kirby and Mullen out here trying to build up their houses and their neighborhoods and all that. Meanwhile, Dabin and Saban are looking at them being like, what kind of a homeowner actually has neighbors they can see? (laughs) And then they look around and they just continue doing what they're doing. All right. End rant. You get the point. Today's podcast it's brought to you by College Football Uncensored. If you haven't subscribed to Saturday Down South's newest podcast, College Football Uncensored, let's just say you're going to need to because it's going to get you through those tough summer months. I don't know if you've had that moment where you've been like, hey, I need more content that is related to college football in my life right just now. The calendar flips to June and you're suddenly looking like, oh man, so another month, less you see media days. College Football Uncensored is going to help you get through that. It's Marler. It's Tyler Huck. They're talking about everything college football and then some. little college football drunk history. They rank SEC head coaches. And whenever big news hits, they react to that as well. For everyone who reached out last year and was like, hey, three pods a week. You know, this is awesome. You guys should do that all the time. This is the 2021 version of that. We're just on different channels. But I cannot recommend it enough. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcast. And I promise it's going to get you through those lean summer months. Let's go to my interview with Wes Blankenship. Wes is such a great follow on social media. Search his name on Twitter. Guy is just absolutely on fire. Love all the Coffee Town stuff. The guy crushes impressions. Uh, We talked about that. Talked a little Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Talked some Georgia stuff. His imitation is so much better than mine. And I didn't realize it until that just came out. But... 
We recorded before all the Eric Gilbert news, so nothing on that specifically. But anyway, it was great to be able to catch up with Wes. So here is Wes Blankenship. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first time guest, in fact, I don't know how that's possible, but a first time guest nonetheless, it is Wes Blankenship. If you don't follow Wes on Twitter, at uh, Wes underscore N-S-H-I-P, I don't know what you're doing, uh, Wes now works with, with Outsider. He hosts a Georgia podcast. And in case you haven't seen the SEC impressions, second to none. Perhaps above all else, though, he does the best Matthew McConaughey impression you'll ever hear in your entire life. That's a guarantee. Wes, how long did the McConaughey impression take to get down? Hey, Connor. Uh, appreciate you having me on, my man. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think with McConaughey, you know, my voice already sounds, you know, it's similar. It's uh, an octave or two away maybe and just kind of tap into the Texas accent, slow it down a little bit and uh, just let it rip. But I don't know. It's not something I really worked on a lot. I think one day I just uh, was feeling a little poetic and felt like I could write up something funny. And the first one I did really what made me do it, there was a clip of him at a UFC fight last winter. would have been, I guess, around uh, 2019, maybe early 2020. <clears throat> and um, I was doing, like, weird voiceover, like, comedic voiceover work, uh, just goofing off, basically. And um, part of it was, part of the clip was uh, Matthew walking in with his family to this fight. And it was, gosh, what it was, who who did Conor McGregor fight? Sorry to put you on the spot. It was some big Conor McGregor fight. Was it and, the Mayweather uh, fight? I feel like it might have been Mayweather. Baker Mayfield was in the crowd, and mm-hmm. uh, I just did a bunch of different random impersonations. And I found it to be pretty easy. Jim Carrey had actually done an SNL bit. Um kind of making fun of McConaughey's car commercials. And I just kind of riffed off of that. So I feel like at first my impression was a little bit of a, an impression of an impression, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't know. I just had fun with that and kind of went from there, made a couple more. I was kind of sitting in my car. Uh, I did one about South by Southwest when it was first canceled for COVID and said, you know, you can cancel, you can cancel an event, but you can't or cancel cancel culture can't cancel an event and I, I don't know i just did stupid stuff like that and uh this past winter and fall i kind of decided i'm going to make like a trilogy of halloween thanksgiving and christmas and uh i've kind of hung up the hat since then I don't, I don't really feel the need to continue to do it but people still think of me when i do them um or they think of me when i kind of craft a, a wordy tweet and they think i'm you know, angling for a McConaughey impersonation. One other guy that does a good job just ver- uh, through his writing, not so much of a, a verbal impersonation, is uh, Jimmy Guards. I think his name is Jimmy G on Twitter, and he's hilarious. He's done he's done way more McConaughey impersonations just through writing his tweets than I have verbally. They're They're great. Can you tell the story, though, and I won't ask you too much more on McConaughey if you've laid that to rest a little bit here, but 
you got his attention on social media, or at least his people's attention. Can you tell the story of that? Because I watched that video countless times. I'm sure many people listening watch the exact video and know what I'm talking about. But it was so unbelievably good, and especially in comparison when you watch some of the other videos that went along with that tweet. So you can, can, you, can you kind of explain the backstory that went into that? All right. So I don't know how many like up-and-coming broadcasters or content creators or, or personalities are listening to this. But, you know, I've gotten to a point in my career where, like, I know my, my worth from, like, a freelance perspective. Like, I know my hourly rate or whatever. But every once in a while, you know, you'll have an opportunity where someone will, you know, ask you for your services or ask you, like, to make make something for them, right? And you don't always have to look up your billable rate, okay? Sometimes they're just fun opportunities that are just like, these are just normal people being normal people, and I'm just going to be a normal person back to them. And that's what happened was this dude, I don't even remember his name, but he reached out to me on Instagram, and he's in a book club. And McConaughey's book had come out, and uh, they were reading Green Lights. And he said, "Hey, um, we have like a, it's like a just a total group of dudes, just the classic guys being dudes. It's funny that they're even in a book club." But he's like, "I didn't read my book, so my punishment is I have to do something funny, or I have to like embarrass myself somehow." But I'm going to trade that, and instead of getting in trouble for not reading my book, I'm going to ask you to summarize green lights in your McConaughey impersonation, but can you make it specific to our book club? And he gave me, like, some names or something, or I don't even I – don't, I don't recall now. It's, it's been several months, but he's like, say something about this guy or, you know, make fun of this dude or, or whatever, and – and send me the video. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to like tell this guy that he needs to request through my cameo. Like, I just felt it would be super lame. It just, it seemed like a casual enough request where I was just like, okay, yeah, I can do that. So I did, I did something similar, uh, in the scripting as to what ended up being my Christmas McConaughey video. And when I sent it to him, he ended up sending it in a DM to Matthew McConaughey. And I didn't know this. I had no idea. Um, I thought I was just like, I thought this was something that I was like, never going to see the light of day. You know, no one was going to see it. And it was just going to be between this guy and his buddies. And a couple days later, McConaughey sends this uh, tweet out and in Instagram out saying, that he had received a video from somebody doing an impersonation of him. And he said it made him laugh. And he wanted, he basically opened up this competition to do Matthew McConaughey impersonations of your favorite line from his book. So he turned it into a, a pretty brilliant marketing campaign for his book. I mean, he's been marketing the hell out of it, maybe even running for, governor with all of his podcast appearances. I, I don't know, but he's been, he's been on every podcast except for 
Shock and Ship, which is the Georgia podcast I co-host with DJ Shockley. There we go. Um, and he he basically turned it into this opportunity, and I was like, this is weird that he's saying this like a couple days after I sent it. But I was like, there's no way he's talking about mine. 100%. So I DM the guy again. He's from Chicago. I was like, did you send him the video that I sent you guys? And he's like, absolutely, dude. I sent it right to him, and I know he saw it because it, it went on red. <laughs> like, I, he, it was delivered and read. I know he saw it. So until I'm proven otherwise, I mean, I, I feel pretty confident that that little private video – that I could have been like a total, like, you know, official professional, like I'm talented. You need to pay me for my time. But because I didn't, you know, you just, you just never know how things are going to work out. And sometimes when you just are a normal person in this industry, sometimes it ends up turning into something that you never could have imagined. And I think that's what happened with that McConaughey impersonation. Um, if I'm proven wrong, so be it, you know, hats off to whoever actually did spur that but uh but i mean i was the only one that mcconaughey himself like retweeted that wasn't an impersonation right off the bat so to me that was like an endorsement like yeah dude you're the one that i saw but who knows maybe it wasn't me oh i know there's there's absolutely no way and like i said when you watch the other videos it's not even close i mean yours yours blew it out of the water and i i think that for you being able to do that and to do some of your other imitations and you talk about like, Hey, you know, it gets to a certain point where like you are on cameo and you don't want to just spend all your time like doing this stuff. Like it's fun to be able to kind of goof off and do that. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's a, there's a certain amount of time to be able to do some stuff like this. And at, but I imagine though, when you're hanging out with your friends that, or, or even if you're at home, like with your family, do you do they ever on like on call request a certain imitation, or do you ever accidentally just kind of slip into a McConaughey, a Leech, Coffee Town? Like, is there any part? Like, because your voice is kind of naturally at that level, but do you ever kind of get into one of those voices? Yeah, I was. Um, we were with a couple friends, my, one of my wife's bridesmaids and her husband a couple weeks back and his uh his parents were or her parents were in time and um his her dad is just a, a spark plug just a, a hilarious guy himself in his own right and he um he asked me to do a mcconaughey impersonation on the spot and I mean, a lot of times I don't like, I don't write these scripts out or anything. If I make one of these videos, I kind of just work them out and kind of feel it out and say words that have like four or five syllables. Uh, Cause that's usually like the hallmark of a McConaughey script, but I don't like, I don't write anything out. So to put me on the spot is like, all right, it's probably not going to be as funny as you think, because some of those I work on for like half an hour to an hour before I even record them and uh they had like a <laughs> they had they had a pack of cheese straws on the table as like a just kind of it's like one of those southern things you know you have on the table to entertain guests or whatever and I just looked at a cheese straw and I acted like I was smoking it like a, a cigar <laughs> in McConaughey's case probably something a little stronger and uh 
I don't remember what all I said, but I I, I use I use the line, I'm breathing derriere, <laughs> uh, and it's gonna put me on my derriere, and that that was all I had to do, you know. And that guy was pleased, but yeah, I, I was with a few buddies uh, last weekend, and one of them asked me to do it. And I, I don't know, I'd had a couple pops, and it just it didn't work. <laughs> it wasn't funny. It wasn't good. So. It, it's hit or miss, but um, but yeah, I, I feel confident that if I really want to make a good one, I can. I just don't. I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, he's the McConaughey guy, you know. Like, yeah. I, I want to do do other stuff. I like doing the Coffee Town videos. I like just telling jokes in my own voice as well. Probably not as successful as some of the impersonations. Those just, I don't know what it is about our psychology, but people love impersonations. Um, I think it's just something, it's something about knowing that this isn't the real person saying it, but being able to close your eyes and envision that person saying it and it being believable. I don't know why humans love that so much, but they do. But yeah, I, I work for a, a digital media company called Outsider right now, and uh, they're allowing me to kind of tap into a lot of my presenting older broadcasting skills, but not the boring broadcasting skills, just the skills that have taken me this far into a career on camera, uh, which is just me being me and um, not sounding like everybody else that you may have heard, especially in my sports background. I've kind of prided myself on not having that broadcaster voice, not, not being, uh, you know, distant, from my audience and just being relatable, being authentic. And that's what, uh, outsiders all about. And, um, I don't know, we're just kind of, I'm just getting started there, but I'm sure there are some McConaughey impersonations in my future. I just got to pick my spots and, and not overdo it. I like that you bring that up because I think one of the reasons that Marty Smith comes off so unbelievably genuine is he is unapologetically him. And the way that he talks, he's probably been in countless situations where he's been told, hey, you might want to dial it back a little bit, but that's not who Marty is. And anybody that's ever been around him knows that, like, yeah, he might come off a little bit over the top. But at the same time, if you ask that guy to dial it back, you're asking him to be a lesser version of himself. And I like that you are always willing to stick to that, even when it means, like, doing an impression of somebody else. And I think people find you very, very relatable on social media. And that's why like, I genuinely say you're such a great follow. If you're able to tap into some of the other college football impressions, a Spurrier, you know, if we're getting into Musburger, Keith Jackson, that's a different kind of territory. But man, that, that would take so much time. The McConaughey thing just seems like it's so natural to you. That stuff feels like it would just take so much work to be able to put in to get that down. Yeah, I mean, that's a good idea, and you're probably going to make me, you know, go up into the bathroom mirror and start working on some Spurrier tonight. Um, <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, got a little one now, and, you know, it was such a blessing. You know, a lot of that uh, personality that kind of came out on my social media account over the past year and a half uh, was born out of a time when, you know, I was unemployed and, just trying to reinvent my career somewhat, but also not even really reinvent it too much, but really just 
feel a little bit unbridled and feel a little bit, and that's a Marty Smith word, by the way, but feel uh, like I had an opening that I maybe didn't have in the past or I could take some more chances that I couldn't take if I had an employer. And uh, I'm glad that I did, you know, because without it, I'm not, I'm not putting Coffee Town videos out, you know. I'm not doing impersonations. Um, it was just a time that I think was necessary for me to find success, even though, you know, for a little while it wasn't that fun and it was a little scary and no one was getting a sports job during COVID. Right. And uh, I still have a part-time sports job with the Georgia podcast with Shock. Um, but my full-time job really isn't much sports. There's a little bit, you know, when there's a little bit of overlap in uh, the content that Outsider wants to create, which is primarily geared towards, a, you know, hunting, fishing, outdoors, rock climbing, uh, camping, country music, rock music, folk music, you name it. You know, it's a little bit more entertainment. It's a little bit more, you know, kind of authentic American content. Um, which is also right up my alley, which is, you know, more me uh, in a way than sports is, even though I love talking sports. And, you know, that's what I've been paid to do the better part of the last decade. But uh, it doesn't feel like that big of a change because I am still just being me. And I think that's really the most important thing you can do if you're going to be doing the kinds of work uh, the kinds of assignments and the kind of work that I'm doing. Coffee Town. I, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Coffee Town got so big that I at one point had to look up whether or not Coffee Town was a real place because the stuff that you were doing on there felt so authentic and so real. For those who might not know kind of the, the brief story of Coffee Town and, and how you came up with that that whole premise and whatnot and why it kind of took on a life of its own. Can you kind of explain that? Yeah. So my, uh, my sports broadcasting career began in Macon, Georgia at the CBS affiliate 13 WMAZ, Eyewitness News. And uh, a lot of those nights, uh, on Fridays in the fall, I'd be covering football games from Macon to Warner Robins to Washington County. Uh, I mean, all over central Georgia. Um, some really, really historically great programs in there. Some not so much. Uh, Peach County. How do I leave that one off? You know, those kinds of programs that people around the state know and have known for a while. And as you drive around and you're listening to the game that you had just shot as you're driving back to the station to edit highlights and put them on the air, they start to fade out. They start to, the signal starts to die a little bit. And then you kind of surf the dial and you find another one. And they don't all sound the same, but they're all related. They're all in the same family tree in one way or another. And I have been influenced and it's a great honor when people that interact with me on social media tell me this. I've been influenced by Louis Grizzard tremendously, uh, former late 
AJC columnist who really became larger than life in the Southeast as a stand-up comedian, as an author. And I just, I wondered, like, how does someone go from doing, you know, sports journalism to being a stand-up comedian? And I always wondered, like, if I were to do stand-up comedy, what would I do? I'd have to have some sort of story that I could lead off with or lean on or, you know, build a show around. And I felt like in my life, growing up in Georgia, not just covering it for work, but just like hearing it throughout my life, I felt like the characters that you meet on Friday night high school football radio broadcasts that are calling the game and their sidekick and all the names that they say from the football teams on the roster sheet uh, that they say incorrectly, that they don't even try to say, uh, the sponsors that they have to mention by obligation because they keep the radio station afloat, the obligatory academic feature that uh, radio is a visual medium, so I'm always envisioning someone's arm being twisted to ask uh, Donnie Chugs about his history class and his GPA and his hobbies outside of football. You hear enough of those stories, you can kind of draw your own uh, world. You can create your own universe if you really try, and it's something that people are going to identify with. I thought incorrectly that it was something that only people in the southeastern United States or Texas uh, or Ohio might identify with. But as Coffee Town kind of took on a life of its own, and people that to this day, I do not know who they are, they've DM'd me, and I've told them, I don't want to know who you are, uh, <laughs> have created Twitter accounts based on the characters that I've invented in Coffee Town. Um, I started to realize this is something that people all across the country identify with. And it, in a way, just started out, like I mentioned earlier, about you know doing this because I didn't have a full-time job. It, it became something that opened my eyes to just how much of an American institution this is and how important, but not too self-important. And how fun, but also how real that part of our lives is, whether you realize whether you realize it or not. And that's what made me make a second Coffee Town video, and a third, and a fourth, and I think I've made eleven of them now, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I feel like there's something there that I definitely want to continue doing each fall, and it is still just as fun whether I'm, you know, just driving down the road or uh, late at night trying to go to sleep thinking of what Reptile Henderson's going to do next season, uh, what uh, Donnie Chug is going to do uh, at his college signing day, you know, those kinds of things. Like, my imagination still just – I can't help but think about it, and it's fun. Have you signed an autograph as Nacho Davis yet? No, I haven't. Um no one's requested that, but uh, I, I have seen – I've gotten a lot of text messages from people that um, 
had like a coffee town shirt on and, and they texted me and said, Hey, you know, I live in Tennessee or, you know, I was, I was visiting family in Chattanooga, had my coffee town shirt on. And someone said, you know, let that Turkey work or, you know, if that don't light your fire, your woods wet, you know, and that, that's just, it just blows my mind that, uh, that people can really connect with it as much as they do. It's awesome. It's really cool to see because the creativity that it takes to come up with something like that. I don't know if the average person can cre- can really understand what that takes from a content creation standpoint. And you tapped into something that so many people, as you said, can relate to. And I, I hope to see more and more Coffee Town stuff. And it was cool be- get, being able to kind of see that, you know, Marty McGee and seeing some of the people that, that sort of took off with it and, and really the joy that it provided on, on social media. I mean, that's what we're all, we're all here to do. Um, in, in other business that you've got going on, you, you talk about the, the Shock and Ship podcast that you got to start doing last year with uh, DJ Shockley, who everybody knows on SEC Network, Georgia fame. Your first guest, Rodrigo Blankenship. How difficult was it explaining then? And how difficult is it for you to explain all the time, like, look, no relation between us. I just kind of roll with it at this point. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely Rodrigo's dad. Uh, I, I know I'm just, I'm definitely Rodrigo's brother. I just, I just roll with it. I mean, I think people kind of stopped asking the people that actually follow along, but it, it still comes up pretty regularly and I'm glad it does because you want to talk about somebody that's larger than life and larger than his own profession it's it's Rod and he's one of a kind he's one of a kind in the NFL he's one of a kind as a human being and uh, I'm glad that I've gotten to speak to him so many times and not just that we share the same last name I was baffled when someone told me when you go to Georgia and they announce Rodrigo's name, there's going to be a louder ovation for him than any other person that gets introduced. I'm like, all right, come on, let's be honest. Everybody likes the, you know, the kicker who's good, whatever. And then you go there and you realize, oh, that's absolutely the case. I, I'd love to see where Rodrigo's introduction would rank among like Georgia players in the last decade or so. Because, man, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, the Chubbs, the Michelles, the Gurleys, all those guys have had their heyday, you know, Murray. But, man, maybe you'd be able to answer that question better than I would. Like, it's got to rank right up there, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. He did consistently have the loudest ovation uh, at every introduction for every home game. And um, he earned it. I mean, that season before uh, 2017, he had the kick at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And he wore the specs in the post-game interview with Kaylee Hartung. And I think that was the start of the fame. I mean, before that, there was a little bit of like, what's this dude's deal? He's got a weird last name. He's wearing these goggles. He's a kicker. But then you realize that he could kick. <laughs> he could kick pretty well. And, um, then obviously he had the kick in the Rose Bowl, uh, helped Georgia have the lead before second and 26 in the national championship. Um, you know, there are moments that I'm sure he wish wishes he could re-kick, like the following year in the SEC championship. But 
I mean, he has to he has to be consistently the the first kicker drafted in every fantasy football league now, even in the NFL. And uh, I believe he had a pretty damn good year as a rookie with the Colts. So he's earning it, and he's serious about what he does, serious about his job, uh, goes through just insane pregame regimens. I don't know anything about kicking, but when you are endorsed by guys like Pat McAfee and like multiple, multiple times over, Pat's not saying this stuff. He's not throwing flowers at Rod's feet because he thinks he's a good story. Like Pat respects him because he's good at his job. And I, you know, stories like that, endorsements like that should tell you everything you need to know. I mean, it's tough to be a kicker. There's no guarantee that he'll last in the NFL, but he's making the most of it right now. Where are you at with um, with your Georgia fandom and whatnot? Because obviously your roots there, you know, you get to start off doing, you know, covering. You get to you get to cover Georgia games and and working on that side. You know, I always ask people about this, like the transition from going from kind of this media role and shifting into the fan role, but not being able to do this podcast as well, like. Have you kind of enjoyed being able to take a step back a little bit more so to where it's not like, hey, you know, you, you got to try and try and be down the middle all the time to where now, I mean, I'm sure you just get to experience it in a different sort of way than if you were still doing TV stuff. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting for me because I mentioned 1A of my influences in my broadcast, you know, media career as Louis Grizzard. You know, if he's not 1A, if he's 1B, 1A is Larry Munson. And Larry wasn't from Georgia, but he gave his heart to Georgia. And even though he loved the dogs so much, he always had, I felt like, the most objective view. And if he was biased at all, he was biased in favor of the other team at all times because he was just ready for the other shoe to drop at any given moment. And that's really how I learned to be a Georgia fan. People, I think wrongly, a lot of times assume on social media, because I I talk so much about the dogs and so close to that program and have been for a while, went to Georgia, you know, obviously I love Georgia. I mean, there's, there's no secret there, but people assume that uh, I am not able to look at them objectively buddy i look at them as objectively as someone that is from you know michigan in the media covering the team because i i see through all the you know the emotion i i see through the feelings uh of of what it should be like to be a fan it's very difficult for me to still be objective uh and i'm not saying it's difficult to be objective i'm saying i am objective it's difficult to be surrounded by friends that are Georgia fans, family members that are Georgia fans and speak the truth to them at times because they're like, why, why are you telling me this? Do you not want us to win? But I'm pointing out the fact that, you know, Georgia's secondary is going to be a, a very huge question mark, a concerning uh, part of this team when they go play Clemson and Charlotte. Like that's, that's, that's the facts. That's real. You know, that's just one example, but I have, any given game you know I'm ready for something bad to happen to Georgia and a lot of my friends and family members are are just screaming their uh, lungs out 
waiting for something good to happen. And that's probably difficult for uh, people that I love and care about to be around me in, in situations like that because I do love the dogs, but I'm objective. I'm, I'm still up the middle. If I'm not up the middle, I'm like, like Larry, I'm like pretty sure the other team's going to do something way better than Georgia at any given moment, uh, even if the facts don't support that. With the exception of hobnail boot, I think you're um, spot on about about Larry Munson there. But you know, just one little kind of random. You know, I don't even know what you would call that 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 call by him. It's legendary. Don't get it twisted. But like you know, one moment where you let some of the raw emotion come out every once in a while. I think that's that's perfectly understandable. Where are you at with this team specifically? Where you know you talk about the secondary. The, the, the concerns about that opener against Clemson with what they have from an offensive firepower standpoint. But I think Georgia fans are asking the question simply, can this year be different? Have you been able to objectively look at this year and talk yourself into this team or talk yourself out of this team? Objectively, I look at the schedule and here's what goes through my mind. I look at Clemson as objectively a toss-up. Scares the hell out of me that anyone would think otherwise. Yeah. There's way too much talk about Georgia like being a legitimate favorite in that game. I don't know anybody that's saying that. I don't know where they're getting it from. But objectively, I look at Clemson as a toss-up. Uh, and then after that, objectively, I look at the schedule and I think Georgia shouldn't lose a game in the regular season. But then, you know watch this team for a little while now and you also start to wonder uh subjectively which one of these teams that georgia shouldn't lose to are they gonna lose to <laughs> because it it just happens and i can't explain it i, I don't want to paint that picture for this team it's a different team but until georgia doesn't do that you're always going to wonder you know is it going to be south carolina again is it going to be this this Auburn team? Is it heaven forbid? Will it be a rebuilding, complete, like from square one Tennessee team? Like those are the kinds of things that emotionally, I feel. I just feel them deep in my gut. Like where is it going to happen? Can they actually make it not happen this year? But object objectively, yeah, I, I think they should. If they don't beat Clemson, run the table after Clemson. That's what the facts tell me. But We'll see, man. I mean, if George Pickens comes back, it's it's on. I mean, it, it is on. But until then, there are a lot of young receivers. It, it's a it's kind of a scary thought. I think the players are there, uh, but it's a scary thought by conditioning from years past to think that Georgia needs to have a wide receiver by committee. They haven't had that in years past. I think they have it now. But those guys have to go out there and show that they're there and that they can pull those plays off. Uh, it, it's also time for guys that have come in and, you know, had a lot of acclaim as recruits uh, on the defensive side of the ball to consistently show that they can do it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of weight and girth on that defensive line, but can the pass rush be consistent? You know, that's the most consistent thing you can hope for in the SEC it, it's not winning games 20 to 17 anymore you're going to give up some points um, 
that's just the way the, the league is. But can you have a defensive pass rush like you had in 2017 with guys that can come off the edge like Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter and change games for you like they did at Notre Dame and against Auburn in the SEC championship? Georgia's missed that element of their defense uh, the last couple of years. And if they can find that again, uh, guys like Channing Tindall, um, you know, they they can put those pieces together. But it's not just the secondary that is like a huge question mark. There there are young players on the edge and at linebacker. Nicobe Dean, right up the middle, getting a lot of acclaim. And I know he has the, the talent and the capabilities to do that. But can he be the replacement for Monty Rice that everyone says he's going to be? It's not guaranteed. I think a lot of people assume that it can happen, and it should. But every layer, every level of that defense, week in and week out, has to be there and has to make plays that turn games around and and give JT Daniels the opportunity. Give uh, Zamir White the opportunity to show that they can – you know, not just control the clock, but put up yards, put up 30, 40 consistently uh, points every single game. And that's, you know, that's what uh, Munkin's come here to do. And he didn't really get the best chance to show that last year because he didn't get a spring. JT Daniels didn't get a full season. But you're right. This is the season to show it. This is, if there's been a season, this is the opportunity to break through the door. That was a great breakdown, Wes. That reminded me of back in my Nebraska days when I used to ask Nebraska fans how they were feeling going into the season, and they could break down every single element. And they're like, hey, you know, we, not, we need to be able to get pressure off the edge. We need to be able to do this, this, and this. And, and you went through all of it, and that's, that was some spot-on stuff. If that's not a, a, a good plug for, for the Shock and Ship podcast, I, I do not know what is. This has been... Absolutely great. Really, really appreciate the time. We're gonna to have to do this again during the during the regular season. Who knows? Maybe maybe like before a potential playoff run. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But Wes would love to do this again sometime. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the time. Wish you the best of luck on everything. Honor. It's been a blast, my man. I appreciate it so much. And you know, if you are a a just absolute stat breakdown junkie uh shock and i do get into that on shock and ship but we also just say just a bunch of outrageous things about uh, barbecue and, and talk a lot about golf and uh tell a lot of stories as well so we're not uh we're not too by the book in that regard so i appreciate the plug and i appreciate you having me on oh and you're on you're on cameo too right west blankenship on cameo is that correct Sorry, say that one more time. It's Wes Blankenship on Cameo, correct? Oh yeah, that the whole uh, the whole story about McConaughey and my cameo that was not a plug by any means. <laughs> I I got talked into having one by the cameo reps, and I thought that was a big deal. And then I saw like I'm pretty sure they called like my dad the next week and said, "Hey, do you want to start a cameo too?" So I, the cameo business model blows my mind. Um, but yeah, not a plug. Just talk to me on Twitter. I'd be, I'll be happy to talk to you. And, uh, regardless of what you want to say to me, I, I view Twitter as two people passing on the street. 
you know, there are too many people that just like ignore people in their comments. It's if unless they're saying something outrageous or something really just negative, I'm probably going to talk back to you. I'd rather interact with you than just leave you hanging. So yeah, you, you gave my uh, Twitter drop at the beginning of the show and you can uh, find me there and chat with me there. Awesome. Wes, appreciate it, man. Take care. Thanks, Connor. I wanted to provide a quick recap on my brother's wedding. Incredible weekend in Lexington. Thank you for all those who, who reached out. Very, very kind. Um, it, it was weird. It felt like normal times in a lot of ways. Seeing my family for the first time in a year and a half was awesome. The speech went very, very well. Did not get nervous, surprisingly. Two Drink Connor was, he was good. He was, he was ready to go. Yes, sir. Uh, relaxed at the mic. How, so how relaxed was I, you might ask? I started with an ad-libbed, that's what she said joke, which <laughs> on brand. I had no, had no intention, but it was very on brand. It kind of loosened it up a little bit. And then, and you know, then we were off and running. Um, more importantly though, than all of that, Ryan and Audrey had an absolute blast. Um, and, and the wedding was just, it, it was so perfect. And it just was everything that I know they'd been hoping and waiting for. So I was just so, so happy for them and, and that everything kind of worked out. Replanning a wedding with COVID as people listening to this know, it's just not an easy thing to have to do. And, and they, they absolutely just nailed it. Um, by the way, I love Lexington, love Lexington. I had never really spent significant time there. I had stopped there for lunch a couple times, but that was pretty much it. We stayed at the Hilton and uh, like down, like right in the heart of downtown Lex, and um, it's such a cool spot. Like a lot of great like local breweries and restaurants. It's really kind of built up, at least a lot different than what I originally kind of had in my mind. Um, so it's great to be able to, to kind of go and, and, and explore and do that. Had some wings with Cash Daniel on Friday. It was a good time. Shout out to Roosters, great local place. Some of the best wings I've ever had, to be honest with you. It was awesome to be able to catch up with him. Man, Might have to doing, have Cash bro? on the pod. Cash is doing really well. Cash has so many different things in the works right now. It's kind of amazing. Like he's got he's got his YouTube channel. He's got podcasts. He does stuff with UK Sports Network. He's does stuff with the the local um, the local wrestling thing that Matt Jones organizes of um, Kentucky Sports Radio. He's just got a lot of different things that that he does and that he's he's a part of and. Dude works his tail off, um, but it was great to be able to catch up with him and got to you know just kind of shoot shoot the breeze with him for a couple hours on on Friday before wedding stuff really got going. Um, so it was a great time to be able to kind of chop it up with him. Probably gonna have him on the pod sometime soon here to kind of talk about some of that stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I was able to do that. Got a campus tour. Got to see Kroger Field at least just from the outside. Shout out to my new sister in law Audrey who works at Kentucky and was able to get and give us the the full rundown of all of that. Speaking of Audrey, Ryan and Audrey are currently on their honeymoon. It's it's kind of though like their their post wedding chill time. They drove with their dog Callie, named after John Calipari. Um, they drove to Asheville for a few days of hiking. Um, and they waited until Tuesday after the Sunday wedding. And they'd still like to go on maybe like a, I know Ryan talked about possibly going on a beach vacation or something like that as a, as a real kind of true, like this is your, what you would typically think of as like, you know, blow it out type of honeymoon trip. Um, but to be able to drive a few hours and go to Asheville, which people rave about. I have not been to Asheville personally, 
but but in addition to seeing those commercials that look really cool, sounds like a very unique place and a good place to just kind of wind down, a little hiking, a little R&R for a few days. Um, but that just seems like such a great way to do it after probably a really overwhelming, stressful time to kind of have a little bit of, as I call it, social detox. <laughs> just just go up in the mountains and just, just kind of chill for a little bit. Um, but I'll get into some stuff, um, some stuff that, some so of my opinions as well on just honeymoons, the best way to do it and all that. But I want to take to the Facebook group to be able to kind of address how people have done honeymoons in the past, what they found success with, what they would like to be able to do, and any tips and stuff like that. Got a lot of really, really good responses in the Facebook group. Um, Drew Page said, me and my wife got married on Halloween, but decided to go play Xbox after the wedding because we were too tired. King. That, Will, absolutely. This, this is you. Two this huge is pros. Yes. Halloween Will, did you just also, hack in a, Halloween also known as Nick Saban's birthday, and then boom, true. Xbox. Will, I think you just hacked into Drew Page's Facebook account. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. Um, so Drew says, uh, so our honeymoon consisted of chilling at the house for a week because COVID canceled our cruise and everything else. So we just had all this time off and nothing to do with it because a lot of stuff was still shut down or not doing a lot of stuff. The last day of it, me and my wife drove up to Ohio to a tattoo shop and she got her nose double pierced. Good times. This is incredible. That's a lot of moving pieces. But yeah, do something special. Do something fun to kind of be able to, 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 to celebrate that occasion and... You know, I can't say personally that nose piercing is in my realm, but now you look back on that and you get that happy memory, even though COVID tried to cancel everything. Emery says, got married in March. The next day was spring break for most public schools and we were going on a cruise. That's bold. We postponed until September so there would be less kids. My biggest takeaway was, don't try to do a bunch of stuff because the point is to relax after the stress of planning a wedding and dealing with everything and everyone else's opinion that comes along with it not to do a bunch of stuff. Emery's exactly right. I am floored that for the longest time and maybe not like, you know, this isn't forever because weddings really weren't as big of a deal back in the day like when our, our parents were, were growing up and they've kind of been blown up now to where it's this whole big thing. I am still blown away that people immediately after they get married the next day will hop on a plane and go on a trip for a week because unless you're doing one of these like all-inclusive resort type things where they do all the thinking for you, I don't want to have to plan a trip immediately after my wedding. Now there's a happy medium. You don't want to just go right back to work. If you go back to work the day after your wedding or two days after your wedding, the, that week is going to be rough. It's going to be really, really rough. I think if you can find some sort of happy medium, what, what Lauren and I did, so we had a Sunday wedding as well, and I've said this before on the pod, but our wedding was in Bloomington, which is about like 45 minutes to an hour from Indianapolis, depending on, on how the traffic on 37 is. And so the next day we spent it, uh, we had a brunch, which a lot of people recovering, you know, as one does. And we then went to Indianapolis and just relaxed took a nap, collected all of our gifts, being able to count wedding gifts, and you get what I'm saying by this, <laughs> is a very relaxing day. Like one of my nirvana things as a human being is being able to relax in a, in a hotel in downtown Indianapolis and just looking at all those wedding gifts, 
realizing, oh my God, this is like Christmas, birthday, all those things combined into one. After you know we footed the bill for for most of our most of our wedding, and that's just such a, a cool thing to be able to experience with your significant other, and you just feel all the love. And obviously, that's a very monetary way to feel the love. But to that, and had you know had a nice big meal that night, and just just relaxed, did absolutely nothing, and then flew the next day um, back to Florida, and then I think we had another day off in between that, and then we did. So we did, and this is the point that Emery's getting to, we did our honeymoon like six months later. We went to Europe and we did two weeks. So we did like the blow it out type of honeymoon because we had a honeymoon registry. Now we had like a half honeymoon registry and then like, you know, we had kind of consolidated all the things that we needed. So we, we didn't really need a ton of stuff. We weren't like sitting there signing up for registering for spatulas and stuff like that because we already had lived on our own in different places and we had already had all of our own stuff. We'd already lived together, so we, we'd already had that whole deal taken care of. But a honeymoon registry, and we'll get to this in a minute, is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Cannot recommend it enough. Definitely do that. Let me say this real quick. Um, it feels like, and obviously I'm not married, but it feels like a wedding is the closest that regular people get to like winning the Super Bowl because like you have this big yes you have this big moment that's like kind of stressful that you got to figure it out and if you nail it then you got a week it's almost like a parade everybody's wishing you congratulations da 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 but then you know if your wedding you know happens to be a disaster in some capacity that week is probably pretty bad so, <laughs> so it's like I I feel like I'm like really looking forward to that because like we talked about last time is like yeah if you nail your wedding that next week or the the honeymoon whatever it is feel, feels like it has to be like euphoria if you plan and prepare properly that <laughs> post-wedding feeling will be really good just like the super bowl that is spot on i love that i love that comparison were you a big were you Zach? a big like um, idiom guy like around your wedding like were you just repeating like all right guys we gotta have proper preparation prevents poor performance or were you just were you smooth or were you involved in the planning i was involved in the planning i was definitely involved in the planning lauren did the majority of the planning but i was definitely involved in that and Another thing that I think is a little bit more traditional is to have, you know, the um, the parents of the bride to be able to foot the bill and do all this stuff. Maybe some people listening had that, and you know, where they basically took care of everything. They did. They worked out all the details. Like for my mom's wedding, my mom's parents just planned all the wedding. They in, they invited all their friends. Like my my grandma and grandpa like invited their friends as well, and it was just like a very different dynamic than what goes into it. But when you're planning your own wedding. And it depends sometimes on how long you have. It is super, super stressful. And up until that moment when um, you are getting to not even just the reception, but maybe like the post-reception trip to the bar, that's the moment where, for me, you can truly exhale and be like, the planning is done. Nobody died. Everything went off without a hitch. And we're good. And this is, this is now a memory. But it is, it is a great, great feeling. Can't lie about that. Um, Zachary Kinney says, went to Gatlinburg in October 2020, had a hot tub outside, a mama black bear, and her cubs decided to eat the 50-pound cover off the hot tub and swim. No. I'm, like, in the hot tub. 11 of 10 would recommend. Also, Alamo Steakhouse has the best filet mignon I've ever eaten in my life. Shout out, Alamo Steakhouse. A bear? I mean, a bear just want to crash the party. You know, 
bears are bears are friendly creatures. There's nothing wrong with a bear if you leave out a little bit of food for them. And you, it's entertainment for you as well. No, I'm just kidding. That's that's messed up, man. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. That's probably how would you terrifying. handle that situation if you just looked outside and there was a bear? I know you. Oh crap! Oh crap! It's a bear. <laughs> we, had a, we had a bear that was down here um, at our old apartment complex that was in the. We we get bears in Florida like a, a decent amount. That's fairly common. Like we had a bear that was in the right across the street or right behind the the tennis courts, which is right outside of our apartment. And we were driving to Four Rivers for dinner one night, and Lauren all of a sudden just starts freaking out. And I'm like, all right, it's it's probably a cat or a dog or something like that, or maybe it's a bulldog or, or something. She's like, bears, bears, bears. And I'm thinking she's doing some Dwight Schrute gym thing or something like that. It's just three bears chilling. Two, there was a mama, and then there was two babies. And I pull out the phone, taking pictures and stuff like that. It was bizarre to see. They, it was all, all over the place in Florida. There was like right down, probably two blocks away from us. There, it went, there was a video that went viral of somebody, somebody like with their, their ring camera or something like that. Bear just munching on all the trash, going to town. I'm like we probably could have just walked down the street and, and seen that happening. But thankfully we did not. So yeah, bears, real thing. Not Sometimes related, they I are though, as we learn. Yeah. Kevin Brown, <laughs> as they are. Sometimes they can be. Kevin Brown says, Key West had a worker at a bar tell me if I can't find anything there better to do than water sports and drinking, I'm a loser. Not wrong. Water sports and drinking is sometimes an interesting combination, but that is a, a good way to be able to wind down. And you get the tropical feel as well to be able to get out into jet skiing or whatever you're, you're doing. Now, every time I think of water sports, well, I don't know if you're this way too. I just think it's Tiger King. Water sports? Why? Is that bad? The scene at the end with the guy with the, with the <laughs> mullet, he's on, he's on the jet ski and he's just like riding off into the sunset. I can't not think of that. So I'm, I'm sorry. Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that, that I, that I lumped that in with, with your, your response here, but Water sports are fun. People that, you know, all want to I live like in Orlando. You live in Orlando right now. One of the worst things to me is like people that are like locals of a tourist destination that are like snooty and want to talk to tourists about like how they spend their time. It's like, bro, it's a vacation. You know what I'm saying? Like that just having being told by someone there, it's like, well, you're not doing this right. You, what do you mean? You're a loser. It's like, dude, it's my Key West vacation. I'm spending it exactly the way I want to spend it. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. You live here. You can do whatever you want. Right. That's a hardo move, total hardo move, unnecessary. Just let them enjoy. They're like, oh, cool, you're on vacation. Like, if we ever we, whenever we go to Disney or Universal or something like that, it's like, yeah, eighty-five percent of the people here are not locals. They're they're doing their own thing. I'm not gonna tell them the exact oh, way of fast pass or whatever they want to do. A version of that here. is for sure. Yes, there's. You guys know, um, you guys know Magic Kingdom in Kissimmee, right? That's not technically Orlando. <laughs> oh God. That person's the worst. That person's the worst. Don't like dealing with that. Nick Ruark, he says, we got married in November, went on honeymoon to Destin, Florida in May. We wanted to wait to save up some more money for that after paying for the wedding. Also a great point, Nick, very great point. Also added bonus of having all the touristy stuff in season. It was great to be able to just relax by the beach. We'll be going back to Destin for years to come for vacations. Go to a beach. Unwind somewhere. Have some. It, it doesn't have to be your entire honeymoon. 
I think that should be some of it though. Find, just find some way to be able to, to relax, chill, unwind, uh, be able to kind of rehash the weekend and it just kind of extends it out a little bit more. Dex Kendall, personal opinion for me, all opinions are personal I think, but spend more money on your honeymoon than your wedding. Our wedding was fantastic, but I wish we could have scaled it back a bit and used that money for our honeymoon. I don't know if there's an expectation that if you blow it out for the wedding, let's say you have 250 people, if you just want to go chill in Charlotte for a weekend after that, is that frowned upon? I don't know. I don't know if the honeymoon has to live up to the billing of the wedding per se. I don't think there's any, any unwritten rules about that. You would probably feel a little bit weird if it was just, if you had this super, super nice wedding where, you know, maybe you spent tens of thousands of hours, maybe you spent mm -hmm. like 40 grand on your wedding, which is a real thing. People do that. I have, I have friends from back home who every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll see like a picture or something like that. And they went to the wedding downtown Chicago. And these weddings, I'm like, there's no mm -hmm. way this wedding costs less than $50,000. And those honeymoons, you're not just going to go up to the Wisconsin Dells after that. You're not doing that. I mean, there's no way, right? Like you, you kind of feel like you, you would have to do something a little bit bigger after that. But maybe, maybe it works the opposite way. And maybe because you just had this massive wedding, you're thinking to yourself, all I want to do is lie on the beach and eat hot dogs. Shout out Kevin Malone. I don't know. I don't know. But the spending more on your honeymoon than your wedding, I think that it depends how you want to look at it. If you want to do the honeymoon registry, you could have a honeymoon that costs more than your wedding. You just might not be the one that's footing the bill for it. Now, if you want to just go to the courthouse and then decide afterwards we're going to we're going to Europe or we're going on some extravagant, you know, we're going to New Zealand or something like that. I don't know why I thought of New Zealand of all places. That's that good point. Hey, you know what? I'm sure a lot of people have done that. I'm sure a lot. This is me subconsciously. The last two episodes, I have referenced Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones without having any idea that I did that. Maybe I got more of a more of a sci-fi fantasy bone in my body than I realized. But spend more on the honeymoon if you want. If that's the way that you want it to play out, then by all means, do it. Uh, I just have always found that a little bit interesting. Of like the people who. The people who blow it out for the wedding like big time and then maybe they, they don't do something like that, that kind of lives up to that after. But I don't know. You do you. Matthew Sedro. He says, leaving the morning after the wedding for our honeymoon and going skiing in Park City, Utah. Oh, I want to go to Utah really badly. We are honestly both more excited for four days of skiing and sleeping in than we are for the actual wedding at this point. He's in the planning phase right now. I'm pretty sure Matthew's getting married in December. I think he said that on one of his past responses. Not well, Utah, no. Weirdly Utah, enough, as you? much as I slander jazz fans, I do want to go to Utah. One day, I want to drive my Jeep out there and just go skiing, see some rocks. Seems like a really cool scenic place. Northern Arizona, you kind of get some of those Southern Utah type of vibes, but I'm hoping to be able to take a trip to Southern Utah next year with... Maybe maybe the the family. Laura and I are trying to talk um, trying to talk um, my mom and then uh, my brother and new sister in law into being able to do that. But that sounds like a really fun trip. No problem doing the um, being more excited for the honeymoon because it's also kind of like it's over. And right now where Matthew is being in that planning phase, it's a lot. It can be a lot. Derek Walden got married last November. 
Um, he got married on cocktail party day. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, he says. Interesting. Interesting. And went on the honeymoon at the end of February. Wanted to wait to see what COVID had in store and what we'd actually be able to do. I hate hot weather and not a fan of the beach. We had always talked about going out west. So we went to Montana and Wyoming and snowmobiled through Yellowstone and went on a dog sled tour that was really cool. There was about three to four feet of snow everywhere and the temp was anywhere from negative 20 to about 35 degrees and it was fantastic. 10 of 10 would recommend, especially the dog sledding. And then he added, P.S., for those of you, and this will, this pertains to you as well, for those of you who haven't been through yet, been through the whole wedding process yet, do a honeymoon fund. We had in our invitations that cash for the honeymoon in lieu of wedding presents would be great. We almost paid for the entire trip with the money from the fund. And he's like, Connor, you should definitely use this little nugget um, as advice in the pod. Everyone can benefit from it. He's right, because that's what we did. And it was great. It's kind of cool the way that it's set up now. You can have relatives buy like a pint at the local pub in Ireland or something like that. And so it feels like you're giving a gift, even though you're really just giving cash in the form of that gift. But I recommend that. I. I absolutely loved being able to kind of look back on and we would take pictures and say, oh, hey, my Aunt Megan got us this or, you know, uh, my my uh, my parents got us this or whatever it was. And it was like every trip kind of had a little bit of sentimental attachment to it as well with being able to do that. And you don't necessarily have to do the individual yeah, I love items. That we have a society of getting farther away from things that don't make sense. So, like, yeah, I mean, hey, I might by that point drop my cash tag under there and just be like, hey, man, just buy me a beer. That's fine. Because it's like I've, I've always, like, the weddings I've been to, I, I always think to myself, like, I want to get the most useful thing possible for this couple because I don't want to just have a thing where it's like, oh, we put this on here and, like, we're never really going to use it, but it's like a thing we should ask for, like a blender or something. And it's like, no, I'd rather just have something that I would use that, you know, like you said, it's like, that's the weird thing about weddings is like the previous thought on weddings, everything is supposed to be so formal and so elegant and everything. And it's like, dude, you can just send me money. I would really appreciate that. Yes. That's the only thing better yep. than a gift basket, uh, cash basket. Yes, just a basket of cash. And it's weird now too with the way weddings are set up. And we dealt with this as well because we got married in Indiana and we were living in Orlando at the time. If we had gotten a bunch of items that people had brought there to the wedding, we would have had to send it back and then it's this whole deal. So we specifically said, do not bring us items. And what, the, what that then creates, and Ryan and Audrey dealt with this as well, is pretty much for like a three month stretch leading up to the wedding, there is a new Amazon package on your door every single day. And even though we did the honeymoon registry as well, we still got a lot of stuff. And so much of the stuff was really cool because we registered for certain things you know, like an electric mixer to be able to get, that was a, you know, a, a bridal shower gift that Lauren got. We got a waffle iron. Dude, I, I cannot recommend, get, get yourself a waffle iron. It is so good. We use that all the time. We got ourselves a little pancake griddle. We use, we use a lot of this stuff. We really do. But if you have the means to be, if you have a wedding that's big enough and you can say, let's do, let's do a honeymoon registry, definitely do it. Lynn Viatree, after the wedding, sorry, Lynn, I definitely, butchered your last name. After the wedding, it really doesn't matter where you go as long as you are on that plane leaving all the family and craziness behind. You can never go wrong somewhere with blue waters and bar service. If you're, okay, I'm, I, I, I agree, I agree. 
Do something that, that relaxes you. If going on a trip and feeling like you have to explore an area stresses you out, don't do that thing. And that's kind of how we are on trips. I don't have a ton of trips where we just go to the beach and relax. And part of that is because, well, we, we live in Orlando, so it's different for us. But I just want to be able to have the most stress-free time possible post-wedding. Going to Europe right after getting married would not have been that. That would have been a disaster. If trying to navigate around Rome with not being able to speak much of Italian at all, if that was right after our wedding, I would have been like, oh my God, I just want to be home right now. I'm not going to be able to enjoy this to to the fullest. But if going to the beach somewhere, somewhere nice, just having drinks and just chilling by the pool and doing nothing, if that takes your stress away, then do it. That is a great activity to be able to do. Yeah, like the first comment, if you want to play Xbox and run all the way through Diablo on your honeymoon, that's actually a great move. Couldn't recommend it enough. By the way, advice for you guys out there. There's a game called It Takes Two. That If you want to find a game to play with your girl, it's on Xbox, PlayStation. It is the most fun game of all time for those type of activities. So, Good honeymoon game to be able to do. Video games. Yeah, you could literally just beat that game over a honeymoon. It would be awesome, romantic, great game. Anyway. <laughs> Tanner Stars says... I wanted to travel overseas for our honeymoon and go between a few countries. My then fiance, now wife, wanted a laid back Caribbean island honeymoon that was easy to plan and relaxing. All right, so we're seeing kind of the best of both worlds here. So we compromised and took a Caribbean honeymoon. It was a great decision because she was happy and could relax after the whirlwind of a wedding. Two, it was easy to plan. And three, rum. Tanner's right. Tanner's right. Yep. Neat. Need something that's going to take that stress away. Cannot recommend that enough. Maria Jordan will end on this. <laughs> Maria Jordan says, On way to hotel, husband passed out in car, so I slept in room by myself. It'll be 33 years on June 10th. I think honeymoons... <laughs> I think honeymoons, everybody has their own way of, 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 of having fun and relaxing and of passing out in a car and... You know, spending a little bit of time in a different bed than your significant other is your way to do it, then by all means. By all means. Listen, that's a different kind of veteran move because, see, if you start off and your expectations are super high from, for a honeymoon, you know, you shower twice a day, you wear deodorant every day, you're up at 5 o'clock in the morning making them breakfast, then it's just a disappointment. But if you just pass out in the car day one, it's like, hey, buddy, this is what you signed up for. <laughs> I think, so this wasn't addressed. If you are one of those people that, you put off your honeymoon or you don't want to take it right after your wedding and then it's always that thing that's on the to-do list and you never quite get to it or maybe if you have kids shortly after you get married or something like that and it gets pushed away from that make it a point to do it at some point like make it a point to say five-year anniversary we're doing this or one year later we are going to start planning our honeymoon because I realize everybody's at different different places in life and maybe financially it's it's harder to justify but Having that time and calling it a honeymoon, I, I just think is such a such a meaningful experience to be able to have with your significant other. It allows you to look back on uh, on your marriage, your relationship, and all those different things, and to really be able to kind of appreciate one another and one another's company and all that stuff too. So, I don't think there's a set time in which you have to have a honeymoon. If it's two years after your wedding, or if it's five years after your wedding, so be it. Who cares? Just call it call it your honeymoon and. And, you know, do something that you wouldn't normally do, maybe, or do something that just takes your stress away. All right. That was a lot. 
did not anticipate all the news that we got. I was actually preparing a different segment that we were going to um, talk about that we'll save for next week. Playoff related. Talking playoffs. Who doesn't like talking playoffs? Yeah. In the middle of June. So we'll have a lot of thoughts on that. Like I said before, go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcast. Go subscribe to the Saturday Football Newsletter if you have not somehow done so, despite my ringing endorsements of that. Saturday.football, punch it into your browser, put your email address in there, and I promise you will not regret it. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read on air with figuring it out. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.